thank you. Okay. Um, so this presentation is a little bit ad hoc because I have my Viva on Tuesday. Um, so it's uh, quite short. Um, so first of all, I'll just talk a little bit about that because I need a little bit of context from where this has come from. Um, so my thesis is called The Shoe Never Fits. Um, I'm a bit of a pun warrior and it's a phenomenological rejection of the lay concept of empathy. So what I mean by that is uh, the ability to be able to walk in someone else's shoes or try and understand another person's experience. Um, so within that I address a number of theories of intersubjectivity, interpersonal experience uh, or empathic experience, however which way we kind of mean when we say that I am experiencing another person. Um, so my thesis is argument is pretty much twofold. One, that the lay concept of empathy is an inadequate um, description of interpersonal experience and that the second part is um, particular in traditional German phenomenology, that of Husserl, um, interpersonal experience is dis it's not described, it's labelled um, and it, that notion of being able to project your experience onto someone else but it's not actually described um, in detail as much as intentionality. Um, so for this presentation, which I thought it looked jazzy, but yeah, I don't think you can actually see anything on it. Um, I want to develop um, my theory of interpersonal experience. Uh, one on uh, forensic linguistics. So I'm from the English department and uh, self-identified linguist, I suppose. Um, and then the second part is to look at um, empathy, especially in uh, autism spectrum disorders. Um, so this one is briefly touching on stylistic analysis, so it fits quite nicely with the papers in this panel. So I'm looking at narrative, empathy and simulation theory as well. So first of all, when considering or reflecting on language, do we empathise with the interlocutor by simulating thoughts, feelings and actions? Do we project ourselves into the narrator's shoes via simulation? And does this then create a boundary between the listener's understanding, a person's actual experience, and their communication of the experience? So I'm going to, oh, I'm going to first of all ask what is empathy? Then consider how empathy is defined in academic fields such as AI, philosophy of mind, psychology, and cognitive linguistics. Um, I'm then going to look at two theories, simulation theory and empathy informed by narrative practice and propose that actually both of these are problematic and a description of empathy from the phenomenological field provides an understanding of what interpersonal experience is. Um, just as a brief note um, from a paper this morning, um, it, the notion of uh, dif the different um, descriptions of terms and the different definitions of terms in different fields uh, came up and I thought that was quite interesting to uh, kind of bump with mine because uh, empathy um, is interesting in that the, um, the translations and the different uses in different academic fields are so vast. Um, so from AI with the simulation theory and then in psychology, um, again I would argue it takes from um, it takes its premise from simulation theory, but suggests that it's actually from phenomenological analysis, whereas I, I would argue that that's not the case. Um, and empathy 
um, was originally coined by Titchener, who read Lips as a um, psychology paper and then coined Empathy. And uh, actually, it's got all kinds of roots in aesthetics, um, linking to sympathy, things like that. So the etymology and the history of empathy is quite important for this as well. Uh, okay, so what is empathy? So um, I've provided a word cloud of responses received from a previous talk, and these were the sum of responses to what is empathy. So we can see there's a number of um, there's a number of different concepts which are quite similar in that they suggest either a form of fellow feeling, um, and that there is an idea of shared emotion, or trying to understand how someone is feeling or what they are thinking. So, is empathy a phenomenon which suggests that one person is trying to feel into the experience of the other, or that is it that I have direct access to another's experience from their description? Um, just another quick note on the etymology of empathy. So, in German, in Husserl's text, it's often translated, um, two phrases are often translated into English as empathy. So, you've got Einzelung, which means broadly means in feeling and um, the reflexive verb seek einfühlen which means to feel one's way into so the subject in both of those um, in both of those translations are different you've got a passive and an active one and I think that's quite interesting to think about when we think about empathy um, so walking in someone else's shoes so the lawyer concept of empathy is understood as the ability to walk in someone else's shoes so those same questions that I asked before can be applied to this lay concept. So does it mean that I'm attempting to understand the other person's world and context and project myself as if I were them? Or do I imagine what the other person may be thinking and this is then affirmed or denied by their actions? Why is this imaginative assumption what is understood as empathy? Why are we just kind of washing this, into this whole kind of description of interpersonal experiences, one-term empathy, which could mean a whole different range of different things? So, to understand interpersonal experience, I believe a clear description of how that happens and what that means is necessary. So, I'm going to provide a very brief introduction of two frameworks that consider empathy and narrative. So, simulation theory and Gallagher's empathy informed by narrative practice. And then I'm going to provide some criticisms of these two theories and very briefly provide my own, which is a rejection of empathy as a fundamental part of human experience. But I do propose that rather than using the term empathy, which does not tell us how we know what the other person is experiencing, we should instead rely on something like passive and active sympathy. Um, so passive sympathy would be something very much like Einzelum, in feeling, whereas I know that there's another person, um, that another person is an object and they perhaps could do a transcendental reduction and come to the conclusion that there is an eye experience in an object. Uh, whereas active sympathy is that I see um, an object in the world embodied in terms, I don't mean embodied in exactly the same way that I'm embodied, but embodied and um, is experiencing the same world that I am in the same temporal and spatial world. And then I would then infer that they're a subject of their own experience. Um, so, um, narrative empathy. So, Taylor et al. describe narrative empathy 
as the sharing of feeling and perspective taken induced by reading, viewing, hearing or imagining narratives of another situation or consideration. Um, so again, this kind of brings us back to the questions I asked at the beginning. Is empathy a process of simulation or do we project ourselves into the world of another person? Um, so empathy has become this focus of contemporary research in, again, philosophy, psychology, literary theory, post-humanism, medical humanities, etc. Um, it's seen as either an everyday social construction or a special kind of relationship with a person. Um, so I've got just some of them, I don't know if you can see them there. Um, so just some of the definitions of empathy, such as my bombs, ascribing mental states, Ratcliffe's mental simulation and replicating, Bulmer's feeling of what another may be experiencing, Keane's sharing of effect, Bloom's magic bullet of morality, and Goldman's social cognition. So as you can see, there's a, a range of definitions from a person sharing a feeling with another, to the mimicking of emotion, to try to understand the other's feeling, and then on to kind of mor moral and ethical considerations. Um, so many of the theories of narrative empathy are cognitive stylistics, which is the new up and coming in um, linguistics, do not define the term empathy, but they just accept it as a labelling of the term of interpersonal or interpersonal experience or intersubjectivity. Um, so many academics in that field have looked to mirror neurons as biological evidence of our capacity of empathy. So mirror neurons are believed to mediate the understanding of another person's behaviour. So experiments were conducted on macaque monkeys and the neural imaging was similar when a, cat, when a macaque was shown another macaque eating food and when, they, when, when that macaque was eating food. <laughs> so Gallagher highlights that much of the contemporary debate about empathy is driven by mirror neurons and that understanding another person's actions relies on a neural mechanism that matches the observed behaviour that the observer could execute. So I've got an issue with this. So the issue with mirror neurons being used to explain how one person can project into another's experience and how this experience, um, and know this experience to be true, is that copying the observed behaviour um, simulates the action of the person behaving. So for example, <clears throat> thanks. I may witness another person crying at a funeral, and if I mirrored the other person's behaviour, I would also cry. It may then transpire that the other person is crying because they are overwhelmingly happy. Um, as such, we're not then experiencing the same emotion, and I still do not know what that other person is experiencing. So by occupying someone else's perspective, there is a sense of imagining yourself into the world of another in order to try and understand their experience. So that differs from the lay conception of empathy as walking in someone else's shoes, as this definition implies that the other's person perspective and experience is known and is, it is a case of living through another person's experience. So simulation theory, complain, complains, um, simulation theory claims that humans anticipate and make sense of the behaviour of others by activating mental processes that if we were then to action would produce these similar behaviours. So this projection of our own mental states onto another is problematic as it suggests that, um, that my knowing, understanding and action of an experience means if another, is showing to, another person is showing to have similar emotion or behaviour in an experience, then we are empathising. Um, Stockwell describes cognitive poetics as an account of literary meaning and effect that treated linguistic patterns as correlated 
of human cognition and drew on, drew on neuropsychology as well as stylistics and literary theory. So this mirroring and application of neuropsychological theory onto stylistic analysis is, is interesting. Why on earth are we applying a theory which was founded on an experiment on monkeys onto how human beings understand one another? So putting yourself into someone else's shoes suggests, um, suggests an analogous understanding of another person, and that for me is problematic. Just because a person's external body looks biologically similar to my own, i.e. embodied, that doesn't tell me what their thought processes are. Um, so Gallagher proposes four rejections to simulation theory. One is a diversity problem, um, because simulation theory depends specifically on one's own first-person experience as the basis for what goes into the simulation. So the question then is, when we project ourselves imaginatively into the perspective of the other, when we put ourselves in his or her shoes, do we really attain an understanding of the other, or are we just kind of merely reiterating ourselves into that person? Um, the developmental problem rejects simulation theory because in a series of experiments, developmental psychologists have shown that young infants are able to differentiate correct and incorrect answers in false belief scenarios. And in the neural simulation account, this indicates nothing about the concepts of false beliefs. That is, there is nothing in mirror neurons which code, which that code for false belief. Um, simulation theory involves pretend states, so where a sort of um, surrogate state, which is deliberately adopted for the sake of the attributor's task in simulating practical reasoning, the attributor feeds pretend desires and beliefs into her own practical reasoning system. And simulation is thus characterised in terms of a mechanism or model that we manipulate or control in order to understand something which we don't have instrumental access to. So also there are uh, many cases of encountering others in which we simply do not adopt or find ourselves in. Um, so a motoric or emotional matching state, as in the funeral example. Gallagher proposes a theory of empathy as informed by narrative practice. So he claims that cultural narratives made available to the child or narratives that are generated in interactive contexts by others and eventually by the child are in the first place stories about actions and interactions. So they often include reasons for acting. So through such narratives, we gain interpretive insights into the actions of others. Narratives, however, give us more than their contents. They give us a form or structure that we can use in understanding others. This is what Gallagher's saying on me. Uh, that is, we learn from narrative how to frame an understanding of others. We start to see others engaged in their actions, not simply in terms of the immediate and um, current context. We start to see them as engaged in longer term projects, such as plots that add meaning to what they are doing. So Gallagher um, claims that understanding persons in the context of their situation, or having a sense of what their story is, is then essential to forming an empathic attitude towards them. Um, so phenomenology, phenomenology as a philosophical method provides a description of, of, as we know, the fundamental elements of human experience. So if I want to know what it means to understand another person's experience, my question is, surely I must begin with considering how I experience. So by undergoing a reflection on a first person experience, as this is the only thing we know to be true, we come to the description, I having consciousness of an object. So subjectivity, intentionality, and inherent awareness of the self and others are the primordial elements of human experience. Okay. Um, 
So I provide a phenomenological description of interpersonal experience, which I don't have time to go into detail now, but I'm sure you'll grill me on that. Um, but just very briefly, um, I, have a, I, have, I have in consciousness of an object, and if that object behaves in a similar, similar way to me, so again, by behave I mean is embodied in a similar way as it exists in that uh, spatial temporal dimension, then I apply this active sympathy to the other person. Active sympathy is when I apply subjectivity and the possibility that the other person undergoes their own first-person experiences. So in this description of interpersonal experience does not include the lay concept of empathy, that I can walk in someone else's shoes, but suggests that through an inherent awareness of the self and other in my own subjective awareness, I can claim that another person may have their own subjective first-person experience. So as such, um, I reject the lay concept of empathy as a fundamental part of human experience. So rather, understanding someone else's experience involves an understanding that another person experiences in the same way that I do, that a self has consciousness of an object. This description arises from the phenomenological reduction, um, but we need to be aware that anything other than this description is context, and so cannot be experienced by someone else. So consequently, narratives are simultaneously borderless, as everyone fundamentally experiences in the same way, and with borders, so that experience is isolated and cannot be shared in its entirety with, um, entirety with anyone else through communi communication, regardless of context. So to understand a narrative is then to negotiate this dichotomy. Right, I'm going to whiz through this. Um, if we briefly consider these three theories and apply them to the statement, um, I am in pain, uh, so I'll come into that in a second. Uh, we can see the difference in analysis and understanding. So this statement, um, I am in pain, was made in a recent court defence statement, which I'm having a look at and analysing, but it's in very early days. But as it's ongoing, I can't give any details. Um, so the larger project considers a number of statements made by both defence and in both defence and prosecution statements. So I'm going to analyse this particular sentence using the simulation theory, empathy informed by narrative practice, and then a phenomenological analysis. So from simulation theory, I know what the concept um, of pain is, and I can imagine myself in that state. Empathy informed by narrative practice. So from Gallagher's theory of narrative practice, I'm aware that there is a reason for pain, and there must be a story or reason as to why that is the case. And then a phenomenological transcription would be something like, if the person who makes the statement behaves in a similar, similar way to me, then they are the subject of their own experience. But I cannot note that statement to be true. Okay, um, so if we, play, if we apply this phenomenological framework to negotiating and understanding literary narrative, the reader has passive sympathy, whereby they're aware of the other, and the other is the character. Um, if then the character behaves in a way that is similar to me, then active sympathy is projected. The everyday world is different as it is the narrative construction, um, but they must behave in a way that is expected of the character in this text world. So for example, if it's a sci-fi in a million years in the, in the future, then that would be considered. Um, if a character does not behave in a way, I'm hoping you've all seen the end of Game of Thrones. Um, if a character does not behave in a way that is expected, then they are objectified and seen momentarily as a non or a sub subjective character. So, for example, when Daenerys goes mad and burns all King's Landing, she becomes temporarily non human. Um, so, that negotiation is. Uh, sorry, and that's because uh, she behaves in a way that we 
don't expect to within that surrounding um, and the way that she's been characterised. This negotiation is constant and there is always this ebb and flow of passive and active sympathy being um, applied. So I just want to end very quickly on this. Um, so having a look at how concept of empathy is applied to the ju judicial system is interesting and we've seen there is such a vast difference in how the term empathy is understood. So using the term empathy in a courtroom is problematic. However, the subject of empathy came to the fore of public discussion in 2009 when Barack Obama stated that empathy was one of the qualities he would be looking for when appointing a Supreme Court judge. He defined empathy as a quality which allows us to um, understand and identify with people's hopes and struggles. But identifying judicial empathy as a quality that is sought after in a de debatably objective environment caused this surging question such as what is empathy? And is there room for empathy in environments such as a courtroom? Um, another issue, again for a is how the term empathy is used and applied to court cases and sentencing. So men receive 63% longer prison sentences than their female counterparts for the same crime. The reason behind this disparity has been suggested by staff to be that judges treat women more leniently for practical reasons, such as their greater caretaking responsibility and high capacity for empathy. And that's something that I want to address. And that's it.